And we're back for another episode of Pitching a Contact. My name is Rich, my co-host is Pete, and joining us as always is our honorary co-host, Peyton Trawick. And we've got a lot to talk about this week as we're getting closer and closer to spring training. So how's it going, Pete? I am doing, honestly, pretty well right now until I read this uh, top 100 prospect list, but we'll get into that a little bit. How about you, Richard? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm doing good, man. <laughs> Easy. I'm doing okay. Um, I kind of feel like doo-doo, but like I'm, I think I'm doing okay. Um, Treyway, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, just living life. I've got an infection on the inside of my finger right now, so that's kind of gross. But How'd you get that, Peyton? Um, so I trimmed my fingernail and I cut it down too short and it got dirt in it. So now it looks all green and pussy. It's pretty gross. Uh, how's that affecting your fungo game? Um, lots of rollover. <laughs> lots of rollovers. Not, not a lot of barrel. No, no, there's not a lot of barrel to go with that. So <laughs> how about your BP? You putting the ball, you're putting the baseball where it needs to go. Well, it's on my left hand. So we're, we're good. There. Uh, okay. okay. So it's glove side doesn't affect that too much. Wow. Oh, oh, I would hope not. So oh, well. life sucks. Pete's having a bad hair day. Oh, it's I'm, terrible like, hair day, dude. I'm feeling like doo-doo. But we did have a snow day up here in Canada. This is our second snow day the past in the past week. So I'm just not going to school. And um, just a quick funny story before we start talking about what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, I'm a TA. We're supposed to have a midterm tomorrow that I have to proctor. And today I was supposed to help out a couple of students with some biomechanics. And we're supposed to meet at 10 a.m. Snow day, school's closed. Send an email to my student, and she's like, um, "Hey, I still need some help." I'm like, "Okay, uh, you want to like meet tomorrow before the midterm at 11 a.m.?" And she's like, "Oh, midterms at 9 a.m., but sure, we can meet at 7." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 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 taking my bum ass to school tomorrow, like 7 a.m. To get some uh, mechanics help, and then I got a proctor midterm for three hours, and then I got to mark 150 midterms for like six hours. Yeah, I'll I'll leave I'll leave you alone tomorrow. You. Same. Hey, Richard, can you like let the audience and the listeners know kind of like how marking exams is for you? Because I swear to you guys, I get constant Snapchats from this man of just ridiculous answers. Oh, I I love marking. Marking's awesome. It kind of gives my life a purpose. So. It just shows me how far ahead of, oh, my God, I hope yeah. not. you listen to this. This is really bad. Um, a lot of biomechanics students are just not good at biomechanics. So <laughs> just kind of sound very politically correct right now. Um, and what they try to do is when they don't know an answer, they just throw everything they know at the wall, hoping something sticks. So you just kind of have to like look through the entire essay of an answer for a short answer question and try to find something to give them part marks for. But every now and then, kids just give up. And when they give up, the answers just go from like wrong to just like what is going through your head right now. Is this even, is this even talk about the question at all? No, oh, no, no. there'll be like pictures and stuff. Like, like there have been times where like pictures of stick pic- like stick figures. It, it's bad. Yeah, like sometimes I get pictures, sometimes I get sad faces saying, like, I don't know the answer. So it's everything I know about biomechanics. Um, there is one question I remember last semester I'm TAing this course and a question's like, How much force does this person generate in X amount of time, whatever? And she's like and girls like quite a bit. And she spells quite as 
Q-U-I-E-T. So quiet. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's awesome. We we hold our kids to a really high standard over here. It's that Brock University education, right? There we go. Oh my god, this is not good. Isn't uh, well? Never mind. I'm not going to ask because I'm wrong. This is the wrong place to be wrong. Oh, remind me to ask you my question after the pod. Uh, don't get me fired. Well, anyways, <laughs> supposed to talk about today. It's prospect season. We're going to be talking some prospects. Um, if you haven't already looked at it, the Evolution Metrics Top 100 MLB Prospect List is up online, so check that out on evolutionmetrics.com. Lots to discuss. But do you guys know which prospect isn't on this Top 100 list? He's on the Oakland Athletics. and Well, he was on the Oakland Athletics. Oh, and Kyler Murray. I'll take Kyler Murray for 200. Yeah, Kyler Murray. <laughs> For some very odd reason, Kyler Murray isn't on our top 100 list. And before we get into our top 100 list, Treyway, what happened? Well, in my opinion, are you talking about why Kyler Murray did, chose not to play baseball? No, I think we kind of know that. That's a lot more money. Uh, you get to play in New York and not like Bluefield, wherever the fuck that is. And he's not going to be in the minor leagues for like four years. He's going to be a starting quarterback. kind of know why. I just want to know, like, how did Oakland let this happen? You know, in my opinion, um, I think a lot of it, you know, they knew the risk um, whenever they often they drafted him. Um, you know, and, and I think there was obviously had to be a protection in there uh, in terms of the money, just mm-hmm. that way. Because I think he, they, he only got, like, he 1.5 million of his signing bonus, and I think he has to give, it's like, 1.29 back yeah 1.29 and so um you know and then they let him go play football which i think they knew was a risk um but you know billy bean even said you know with a guy with that kind of talent um you know you have to let him at least go showcase it and then obviously he had a, a heisman trophy season so you know it's kind of hard to deny him the chance to say okay well i want to see what the combine or what the nfl has to say you know and, and billy bean also brought that up as well you know a guy has that kind of season where you gonna say no you have to come play baseball mm-hmm. you know i mean sure you're trying to make money you're trying to build a you know a franchise but at the same time you know these you know these are everyday guys who are trying to make decisions that are going to impact the rest of their life mm-hmm. um i think long term i think it was a good financial decision for him but i mean i think he will excel better or would have excelled better in baseball and uh, they're going to put him on the restricted list, and so they'll keep his rights and all that. Um, but I don't really agree with that because watching him in Oklahoma, I think he's not a bad quarterback. Like when I watch him play baseball, I just see a really, really raw athlete. Every he can put everything together eventually and become really, really good, or it might just never really happen to him. So right. someone like Kyler Murray is just like a high risk, a high reward pick because that's what. Like, he's a two-sport two athlete. That's why I'm, like, looking at this next upcoming high school class, and I look at it like a Jerry and Ely, and I watch him play, and I'm like, this guy has so many tools, but he's just so raw. But then I look at, like, a C.J. Abram, who's, like, equal, or like, not as athletic, but really, really athletic, but, like, this guy just plays baseball all the time, and I just right. see, like, I, I just see everything being put together for him, and, like, he's an absolute stud. And you just see he has a feel for the game. He has more understanding for the game. Jerry Neely, not really. He's a little raw. That's why I kind of see with Kyler Murray. Like, I'm watching him play football. He has a cannon of an arm. He can make his throws. He can make throws in tight pockets. Like, he can run. I think he can find more success in, in football, right? 
and football is more about the the coach you got the o-line's a big part of it your running game i think with baseball it's like he's gonna be in the minors and might never come to him in football like he's already kind of showed in college that he can play right yeah it's my thoughts yeah Do, do what yeah yeah no no go ahead man um you know and my my idea you know of it of course, you know, he had a stellar season in Oklahoma. That's, I mean, he won the Heisman. So it's not like, you know, he had an okay season, you know, and he's just projectable. Um, you know, and a lot of guys that I've talked to, the argument is, well, he's three inches shorter than Baker Mayfield. And he's 25 pounds lighter, you know, and in the NFL, size matters. But I, I could also see him being really good, a really good quarterback. You know, part of it will depend on who takes him, how they develop him, you know, what kind of offense they run. Because, I mean, obviously he can't run any kind of offense, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I do I, – I'll agree with what you said. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think baseball-wise, if he puts it all together, he could be a really good baseball player. But, you know, I think I think the risk, you know, like you talked about with, you know, not all coming together, you know, and then what, I, I think that was probably a lot of his thought process. Yeah. You know, plus he gave, he makes more money quicker. So. I mean, I mean, think about it this way, guys, not to chime in and interrupt, but, like, in general, think about it this way. The worst thing that happens to Kyler Murray – is that he is a backup quarterback at the worst in the NFL making $1.5 million constantly a year. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have that or go to some run downtown in middle of nowhere, uh, Tuscaloosa or whatever single A affiliate, wherever that's located for the A's right. on a bus getting paid maybe 25, 30 K a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I'll take the backup quarterback job. I don't think that's that hard of a decision. And, I mean, the NFL protects its quarterbacks really well now. He'll be fine. And exactly. as far as the size thing, like he's been the same size playing football in college. He's been the same size playing football in high school. The only in the only industry, there's only one industry in the world where size matters, and football isn't that industry. And what industry is it, Richard? On that note, we're gonna jump in. Well, come, no, 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 no. Come on, come on, Richard. What industry is that? Um, Treyway, can you guess? Oh, I hope you don't say basketball. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's basketball, too. But actually, <laughs> uh, no, I think you meant something else there, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're going to talk about porn in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Jeez. Uh, but until then, top 100 <laughs> list. Um, <laughs> Evolution Metrics top 100 list. Um, we all know who's, who's number one on the list. Um, it's Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Uh, let's just quickly give our thoughts on Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and just kind of throw him to the side because I think Vladdy's number one on every single list in the world, unless you're Keith Law. Uh, <laughs> Keith Law. Um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, sit up, I'll, I'll hit lead off here real yeah. quick on Vladdy Jr. Um, obviously, I think he's the worst prospect in baseball. I think he's the worst prospect anybody's ever seen. I'm kidding. Um, no, the guy's just unreal. Unreal bat speed, unreal power. I mean, the glove's still got to develop a little bit more, but in terms of his hitting ability, it's already uncannily just unreal. Um, the guy is going to be amazing, um, without a doubt, and he's going to be a cornerstone for the Toronto Blue Jays, obviously implying that he stays healthy. He will be a cornerstone, corner infielder for the Toronto Blue Jays for many years to come. So, yeah, there, there we go. I just hit my leadoff single right there. Peyton, what do you think of Vladdy Jr.? I think one thing that people really forget, I mean, obviously he can hit and he can hit for power, but I think one of the most, like, I'm not going to say underrated things about him because it obviously goes into hitting, but his barrel control 
is phenomenal. I don't, I don't know if you guys, I mean, sure, he has, you know, great bat speed, but the way he's able to just get the barrel to the ball, you know, no matter where it is, what kind of pitch it is, uh, it, it's just unreal. You know, and you combine that with his power and his and his arm, I think his arm grades up like a 55 or a 60. Um, you know, I, I just think long-term, he's going to be one of those players where he just gets in the box. And, you know, if, if there's someone who's hitting 300 behind them, they're probably going to rather pitch to him. Like he's going to be that kind of elite hitter in Major League Baseball. I, I, you you can't deny his output and his just his feel at the plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, absolutely, and like that to me, like just the one thing that, like for example, not to talk, I mean, not to bring in Vladdy Senior into here, but just something that emulates to both of them that I just think is something that you rarely see sometimes nowadays is like just the unreal feel that this guy has at the plate. I remember watching Vladdy Sr. with the Angels. With He was at the back half of his career when he was with the Orioles and that kind of stuff when I was really like young and getting into baseball. And I just remember just seeing his actual just feel at the plate, his feel for the – just I, – I wish there was some other way I could describe it other than feel. But, like, if you get what I'm saying, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, and Vladdy just emulates that as well. It's just unreal to me. Yeah. Like, I think with someone like Vladdy, it's, it just goes way far beyond just the raw tools. Like his raw power tool is just off the charts. It's nuts to watch him swing. It's like, second to Richard Burfer, which is something we haven't seen ever. The, that's, that's, that's a fact. And the good thing with how uh, the Jays are kind of planning uh, Vladdy Guerrero's debut is – He's going to use the first three weeks of the MLB season to work on his defense in the minors. So by the time he's going to get up to the main club, his defense is going to be flawless. But, yeah, completely agree with him. Like, just the barrel control is incredible. Um, it's also for, – for me, when I watch him, and he's 19 years old, and to just have such a great understanding of the strike zone is just insane. For a kid who's 19 years old, and he's going to see some of the nastiest stuff when he gets up to the major league level. But, like, the barrel awareness is incredible. Just the understanding of the strike zone is off the charts. And, like, this guy hits cannons. Like, this dude can barrel up anything. And if the pitch is just not in his comfort zone, he's just not going to swing at it. Like, Yeah, I think his only downfall, because, I mean, obviously his bat will carry him wherever he wants to go in baseball. Mm-hmm. But I think the only, you know – Real question with him is, is if if he will stick at third base. And I don't um, think he will. You do what? I don't think he will. I don't think he will either. But, I mean, if, if you're Toronto and unless you sign a, def- a defensive third baseman that is literally like top five in baseball, I don't see where how you can move him. Like, you know, I mean, you, I'm sure you could put him at first. You could DH him. But, I mean, that with that arm, I mean, I just don't see how you could hide it at first base because he, he has a above average arm. Well, like, here's the thing. Right now, Justin Smoke is our first baseman. I think he's going to be on an expiring contract. And Justin Smoke is one of the best for defensive first basemen in baseball. I was about to say, you can't just push Justin yeah. Smoke out of there because the guy can hit a little bit too. Yeah. So, he, like, he can hit a little bit. Honestly, he's had two phenomenal seasons. But I think what the Blue Jays are just going to do, just a couple of final points on Vladdy Guerrero before we move on, I think the Jays are just going to experiment with Vladdy Guerrero at third base right now while they just have the last final year of Justin Smoke. 
And if it just doesn't work, they can move uh, Vladdy Guerrero over to first base. Justin Smoke is going to enter free agency, and obviously the Blue Jays are probably going to uh, move into a different direction and then build from there. That's that's my two cents. Is that about right, Pete? Yeah, I agree. I, that's what I think logically and just just logically that, that they're going to do. I mean, like we just said, like you can't just move them over to first base. We have a guy like Justin Smoke who I know you kind of just gave him high praise, but to me Justin Smoke – is like one of the most underrated first basemen in baseball. Mm-hmm. So in general, like you can't just do that. Well, that's the high praise. Yeah. Well, they, there you go. But like in general, like you can't just do that. So to me, this is especially since you guys are on a rebuilding year mm-hmm. and sorry, sorry, I don't mean to offend any Torontoans, but you guys are. Yeah. And just, I think going forward, I feel like that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, one more question for you, Richard, real quick. Yeah. Are you going to draft Flatty Guerrero Jr. in our fantasy draft this year? I don't know if I can. I, I think we're allowed to. Isn't it keepers? It is keepers, but Vladdy hasn't been picked up yet, has he? I think Jason hasn't. Oh, crap. Yeah. My bad. So, yeah, everything's horrible right now. Look, I hate keepers leagues. Get rid of them all. Let's just start over. Yeah. Literally, let's go back to when um, Daniel Murphy wasn't traded straight up. Oh, don't, oh, don't bring back old stuff. Okay, well, let, let's move on a little bit. Pete, you have a couple of issues with this um, top 100 list. Hit yes, um, I wouldn't necessarily call them issues because, once again, top 100 lists are very much subjected to opinion. Honestly, scouting, in, honestly, scouting in general is pretty much opinion-based. Um. Either way, though, let's just dive right into this. First off, you guys have Jared Kalenic rap ranked 17th out of everybody. And truthfully, any other – like because I did some cross-checking. As you every should. other list that I've seen has him ranked like in the late 50s, early 60s. So I just I just want to start there and let's just start get just give me some justification as to why you guys believe that everybody else has it wrong and you guys have it right. I'll let I'll let you go first, Richard. I know how much you love uh, our baby Jared Kalenic. So Jared Kalenic is the next Mike Trout. Ooh, going right there. Okay. Um, I I've been on Jared Kalenic's hype train for a year now. I think he's an incredible talent, and I'm. Like I, I'm a I'm a Jays fan, and I love watching Vladdy Guerrero swing. Outside of Vladdy Guerrero, the swing I love watching the most is Jared Klenick. The power is going to project. Like the dude is huge. He's I think he's like 19 right now. The kid is jacked. Like he has great barrel awareness for a kid his age. Um, the swing is beautiful. The power projection is there, and his his hit tool and his power tool. That's not even his best tool right now. His best tool is his arm. Like, this guy throws BBs from right field and still a, a really great runner. I love, like I said, I love the power tool. I love the hit tool. I think I think uh, Jared Kalanick is a really, really special talent. And I'm just going to – I was on the hype train when the draft was happening. Um, I actually thought that Jared Kalanick can go 1-1 because I just love the talent that he is. So I'm just going to keep riding it. And by next year, he's going to be number one on my top prospect list. Okay, what do you think? Yeah, and, you know, and it's funny you bring that up because there were obviously rumors going around. I mean, obviously, uh, Detroit ended up going with Casey Mize 1-1 in the draft. And, you know, as 
as they should have, in my opinion. Um, I, I was very keen on having him go one one, especially whenever we had conversations like inside the company. Um, I thought that you know Casey Myers was the best player in the draft overall. I think in terms of future talent and what he could could, br- could bring back to Detroit uh, in a little bit shorter of a time frame. Um, but there were also a lot of rumors going around, as Richard said, that you know, in order to save a little bit of money, which Detroit could have, because I believe they had a couple competitive balance round picks, which I might be wrong there, but they had a reason to try to cut for a little, cut a little bit of money, um, you know, at one, one and the name that everybody kept kind of swirling around, especially around May, about a month before the draft was Jared Kalinick. And, you know, and one thing with him that I really love is his hit tool. Um, you know, I feel like the kid was way advanced for his age, especially coming into the draft. Um, I think the power um, is it's going to struggle to come for a little bit just because he's so young and nobody, you won't see him hit for a lot of power until probably he gets to double a and a lot of power is a little bit of stretch. I'd say 50 to 55 in terms of grade. Um, His arm is a great arm in the outfield. I think his fielding was probably his worst tool and that, and that's going to get better as he finds like a home, you know Um, I think long-term, I think Kalinick will be an all-star. I think he's going to be one of those five-tool players that can change the face of a franchise, you know. And I think whenever uh, the Mariners acquired him, I think that was kind of the the thought Jerry D had in mind is that Kalinick was probably the second best player in the draft. I, I think you can make a, a case uh, depending on what your franchise needs if he was the best player in the draft. But um, I, I, I love Kalinick. I I think a lot of people have him ranked lower because you know he's obviously only uh, nineteen. I think he's nineteen years old. So I think that was a reason why people had him in like the low fifties. Um, but yeah, I, I love clinic. So I, I think Rich and I were pretty unanimous in the fact that he should have been in the top 20 for us. And then in a lot of other cases as well. Yeah. Like I think the main question with Kellenic going into, is it Kellenic or Kellenic? Hey. I think it's a Kellenic. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's Kellenic. So you have that Canadian accent, so I mean, you can ba- pretty much say whatever you want. Yeah, nobody will be twice. Yeah, Charlie's going to judge you. You're Canadian, so. P, it's our podcast. We can say whatever we want. I know. Well, because Jake, for example, this has nothing to do with the topic, but like Jake Wilson, Richard, you know, you know our buddy Jake? He can do bagel. Says can, bagel and not bagel. That's a problem. But that, and I'm just like, what? Is that like a Canada thing? Or. <laughs> That's not a Canada thing. Well, he keeps saying bagel, and now I just call it a bagel, and that's a problem. No, that's 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 called a concern, not a Canada. <laughs> okay, either way, Richard, continue with what you're saying, bud. Um, Jesus, who are we talking about? Jared Kellenic. Uh, Kellenic. Um, <laughs> we're in my train of thought. But I think the main question surrounding Jared Kellenic going into the draft was the power tool. I think if people just saw that he's going to develop a plus power tool. They're just all in on this kid. And if you're not, like maybe you're kind of on the fence. And I just think I'm one of the people who's just all in on this kid. Like, I think, like I'm watching this kid swing. I love how simple it is. I love how he gets his barrel through the zone. I I think there's, a, I think this is a legitimate special player. Pete, what are your thoughts on Kelly? Okay. So first off, this is not, any disrespect to Mr. Kalenic at all, or Kellenic, or whatever the hell you want to call him. Oh, there he is. There. I think, in general, he is a very talented player who has the potential to be a stud in the outfielder for the Seattle Mariners organization going forward. 
I think he has a lot of tools that project very, very well. The arm, the bat included, I agree with Peyton. The, the glove is something that needs a little work, but other than that is going to project throughout the minor leagues. Um, but to me, you guys have Jared Kalenic ranked 17th, which basically puts him as – I don't want to get this technically wrong, but I probably will. You guys are putting him basically as your fourth best outfielder in this year's top 100 prospects. Now, something like that. Something like that. Uh, Fact check me. You can call me fake news. Whatever. Off the top of my head, there's uh, Victor Robles. There's 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 Victor Robles, Joe Adele, Eloy Jimenez. They're all listed as outfielders. Okay. Yeah, something like that, four or five, yeah. Four or five. The point is, he's ranked there. And then you have, like, Kyle Tucker ranked way below that, even though Kyle Tucker is, like, a top ten prospect to a lot of people. One second. So not to kind of segue a little bit, but to me, let me just ask you this. What makes makes Jared Kalenic more justifiable than, say, somebody who, like, Kyle Tucker, who to me is a very polished, well-round prospect. I think we should throw this one to Peyton because I, think- I you know I want to hear Peyton's opinion on this. I want Peyton to roast me real quick. The vibe I got while we were making this list is that Peyton just doesn't really like Kyle Tucker. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, I think everyone has that player to where you just kind of look at him and you like he just doesn't do it for you. You know, like. <laughs> Is it like that one girlfriend we all once had that just doesn't do? She just doesn't do it for you. You know, you're just like, yeah, nah. Um, I mean, granted, he he has progressed really well offensively. Um, I don't, I just, I don't see him in Major League Baseball as a as a like a sixty sixty five power guy. Like, I I mean, I know at AAA, I think he hit like it was like twenty anywhere from twenty to twenty five home runs last year, and I just. I don't know. There's just something about it. Like I, I could real, I could probably like try to break it down for you, like if you gave me a lot more time. But when I look at Kyle Tucker play, it just, just something doesn't click. Here, here's my thing with Kyle Tucker, and I kind of agree with you, Peyton. I don't think the power tool is gonna translate over to the MLB. I wasn't. I mean, it's a tiny sample size, but he didn't play too well when he got called up to the Astros. But I'm not a big fan of him in in the outfield. I just don't think he has the instincts out there. And, and, without, and without the outfield, I don't know where he's going to play. Yeah, I, don't, I don't like him in the outfield. I, like you say, I don't like his instincts. You don't like his in- instincts. I need, Neither do I. I, don't th- I think the arm is just fringe. Um, so he's a left fielder for me. And will the power tool translate over to the MLB? If not, then he's just a left fielder. He's not that good of a fielder and not a lot of power. Yeah, and I think a lot of our thinking in this top 100 was all-around player. Yeah. Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I took it was the guys that can make the best overall quality impact, not the guys that have the highest tools and they just rank higher. Yeah, I think you know, Kyle Tucker is a fourth outfielder on that on the really level. I, and, and, you know, in MLB.com, and, and in the last paragraph, which I, which I actually read this earlier because I was doing some research for the pod, but even they say even if he continues to work, at being an outfielder, he's average at best. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it's hard for me to justify putting someone in the top 10 that you can't find a defensive home for. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he doesn't have really any history of playing, you know, first base. I mean, that's really the only other place you could put him. He's not an infielder. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, you could you could put him at first base, but even even still, you're looking at a at a but. I'm not gonna say below average power because that that's just you know degrading. I was gonna say, don't say he's below yeah. average power. Yeah, that's yeah, because he's not. Okay. But yeah. I, I'd say I'd say big league. He's twenty to twenty yeah. home runs, and that that doesn't that's not a profile bat for a yep. first baseman in MIO. You know, and not, he he like his ground ball rate went up when he went to the big leagues. Like he was a became more of a pull guy. And he got to the big leagues. That that's just my thinking. I th- I think he's a fourth outfielder at best, and I just don't like him in the outfield, and I don't think the power translates. Um, okay, now as much as I kind of disagree for my own reasons that I'll get into here, yeah. What I will say in support of what you guys are saying, it does seem as if that the Houston Astros are kind of trying to cover that up a little bit. Sure. In hence of signing Michael Brantley and basically filling any gaps that they can that would that would anybody else would logically say okay Kyle Tucker will fill that hole. He's been walked around in tons of trade talks. Like I exactly. like, I so like, like I, they're trying to move him for a reason. Exactly. So I get that. And to me, like when I think about like say the Cleveland Indians, for example, a team that's like desperate in outfield help, like desperate need for outfield help, like the fact that a team like the Indians aren't trying to jump on getting somebody like a Kyle Tucker, if the Houston Astros are so willing to get rid of them is the, is like a big red flag to me. So I completely get like, now that I've heard you guys talk about that a little bit, I get your justification for that. I just think also the bat talent is there to me. I mean, I know you guys said 20 home run power. I can't necessarily disagree with that. I just still really yeah, and, like that talent. And I can see him having spurts to where he can maybe get to 25 or 30 a couple years just because, I mean, there's more games. Because he hit – I think it was like it was, like I said, it was like 20 to 25 in AAA, and I think he played like right at 100 games where he got called up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so if you want to take in terms of percentages, that's, you yeah. know, another eight home runs or so. Um, and that's if he plays every day, which I which he won't this year. I, I think he might end up starting the year probably at AAA. So, you know, if that's the case, I don't see how you don't move them if you're Houston, especially if you're trying to plug the holes. And yeah, Absolutely. And not to wrap this all back around to Jared Klenick real quick, but one thing I also wanted to make note to Jared Klenick is that, like I said before, it's not that I don't think of him that highly as a prospect. I was actually telling Richard before the call that to me at worst, like at absolute worst, this guy is a glorified Bradley Zimmer that can hit a little bit. And that's at worst. So to me, like this guy is going to be a stud, probably a stud outfielder. Now, maybe it can he be the upper echelon of Mookie Betts, Mike Trout level? We'll see. Once again, projectability is extremely weird. Development in baseball is extremely weird and not linear. So like, we'll see. But just to kind of wrap it up and kind of put a little bow on top of all that, like, I get where you guys are coming from, but at the same time, like. Ooh, you did Kyle Tucker really dirty, guys. Yeah, I think I, I think yeah we we were like making our list and we're just like, is he like twenty right now? Jesus, we're like really hurting some people's feelings. We, uh, we plummeted. I mean, I think we looked up at, at like twenty five. It's like, dude, we don't have anywhere for Kyle Tucker. Yeah, and um, actually, just talking just quickly about the Houston Astros, I think the legitimate prospect in that system. Is Forrest Whitley? Oh, absolutely! Like I think Forrest Whitley is the best pitching prospect in baseball, and I don't really think it's even close. Oh yeah, I I, I well actually I'll, before I get into my tangent on Whitley, Pete, I'll let you go first. Sure. No, I'll, I'll I'll be like I'll be pretty quick with with this with Forrest Whitley. 
I think his fastball is electric. I, there's natural life to that pitch. I think he has a third ball, and it's a twelve true twelve six, and he. I think he mixes his pitches really well. He has just great IQ on the mound. He's a competitor, and I love kind of love that kind of shit. Um, the stri- he's he's going to be a strikeout machine on the next level. Um, he tunnels his pitches well, and like his other stuff is still like average to above average. Like his slider's not that bad. His changeup's not that bad. Um, like his control, if he can improve his control a little more, like this guy's going to be just a nasty wipeout pitcher. Like that's not. Like- of course. Yeah, not to not to just completely copy everything that Richard just said, but I think he to me at least essentially if I were to do a write up of Forrest Whitley, that pretty much is the same thing verbatim. So I'm kind of curious about what Peyton has to say about this man. So I think I think you got the floor, Peyton. <laughs> so I saw Forrest Whitley uh whenever he was in high school and I, I and I also saw him uh throw a double A with uh, Corpus Christi. And whenever he takes the mound, I mean, being six seven, close to two hundred pounds, I think that you know, whenever just when he when he steps on the mound, the presence there is like this dude is legit. And before he even throws a pitch, I mean, you just look at his body. It's like if this guy with the velocity he has, you know, the length he has, you know, you just expect him to come out there throwing ninety five, ninety six, and you know, and and he does. You know, like like Rich said, he tunnels his uh, pitches really well. Has a really high spin rate. Twelve uh, six on his breaking ball. Slider's good. He, he has four good pitches, and if he can control them, he's going to be an ace in the big leagues for the next fifteen years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Forrest Whitley is that guy that when you're rebuilding, that you want sitting at the top of your prospect rankings because he's one of those guys you can plug him in. Um, I'd say within two months, he could be your frontline starter, being in the big leagues. Like he's just that good. Mm-hmm. And um, just speaking of Willie's a driveline guy, uh, there's another driveline guy on our list, Nate Pearson. And um, I know there's been a lot of talks about where you put guys like Nate Pearson and uh, Mike Soroka. And we were talking a little bit about this, like off, off, off the before we started recording. And I was talking to Pete directly, and I'm like, I love, I love my Canadians, but I feel like with a guy like Mike Soroka. There's lower risk on that kind of prospect. But with Nate Pearson, the upside is just through the roof. What do you think, Pete? I honestly completely agree with you, Richard. Um, This is one of the things that what the viewers at home don't realize is that Richard and I got into a pretty heated argument before we got on today. So there might have been a divorce in the pod before we even started the pod. Oh, I was <laughs> It was it was pretty it was pretty uh it was pretty lethal. The one thing we did agree on is that Pearson is a lot more to me like a thing. I, I don't want to say I don't want to disrespect him by saying Alex Smith is a quarterback, but I want to say that he's got a lot higher of a floor, maybe a little bit lower of a ceiling than Mike Soroka. But Mike Soroka, if he does hit that potential, oh my goodness gracious. So to me, like I, I'm happy that we kind of agreed on that. So to me, ranking Pearson higher than Soroka is a lot safer of a bet, and I think is a lot more logical. Yeah. Peyton, what What is your opinion on all this? Once um, I pay, before we get into that, like I think, like I'm looking at a bunch of different prospect rankings, um, I think Pearson was a lot uh, lower down the list than our list, and I think a big reason for that is because he was hurt this past season because of the comebacker that hit his arm and broke his arm. But 
like I was watching a little bit of video of him at the Arizona Fall League, and like he's got four pitches at work now because I remember when he was drafted, like electric fastball, which apparently is up to like 103 now, and and he has a slider as well that's been really really working for him. But like I'm watching him in a, in AFL video, and like he also has a curveball and he has a changeup and he has like really great separation between all four pitches, and he just shows like a lot of confidence in those four pitches and um i remember i was down at at the winter meetings um down in las vegas and i went to the driveline uh meetup and i was talking to kyle Bodie and i'm a jace fan obviously so i'm like kyle Bodie, like how's nate pearson doing and nate and kyle Bodie's like this guy like works like a motherfucker like this dude puts in a ton of work and he's going to be really really good and i know his college coach down in florida kind of like echoed those sentiments like that this guy just really really works so i just think pearson's going to be off like when i watch him pitch i kind of see a little bit of justin verlander and his mechanics just in his mechanics but i just i just think nate pearson's a really really special talent and i think just when he starts getting back on the mound in the minors i think he's going to start to shoot up a lot of prospect lists just because it's going to be healthy again but yeah Pete, sorry i Totally. No, no, you're fine. Um, just over here dreaming. Well, so whenever we did these lists, um, Nate Pearson was actually a little bit lower on mine than than Richards. Um, and, and it's not anything against Pearson, but I, without the control and <clears throat> the breaking ball and the changeup being fully developed, like I mean, sure you could go strictly off projections, like what he could be, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously if, if the changeup develops and his control develops, he's going to be a really good starter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he doesn't, you have a, a back end bullpen guy, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. the, the hard slider, the or the electric slider, the hard fastball. I mean that that play is a seven eighth inning, ninth inning guy. Mm-hmm. But um, but I mean that, that that's just kind of where I stand because I, you have to kind of look at it as well. Like if he doesn't have it, you can't completely just go off of if it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of ranked him a little bit lower. But um, I do agree. If he can develop a changeup and get his control up, even if the curveball never comes, um, he just needs three pitches to be okay. And, yeah, yeah, and then that's what I'm saying. Even if the curveball never comes, like he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he gets the control and the changeup up, he'll he'll be a really good starter, uh, yeah. you know, front of the rotation kind of guy. But if he doesn't, I could see him being a back end bullpen guy at worst because the fa- the fastball and the slider, I don't think are going to get worse. Obviously, so I mean, you can't deny if it's already there. Dude, so, more mass, more gas. This guy's a f- this guy's a beast on. Oh no, the guy's a freaking massive. Like two fifty, like six six two fifty or something like yeah, that. Freaking monster. Yo, P, like we're talking durable frames. Like look at Nate Pearson. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's not. No, dude, the guy's freaking insane. But that actually is a perfect segue right there. Um, I know you kind of were talking about how Nate Pearson was ranked a little bit lower on most general prospect lists, probably because of the injury. What to me, I'm kind of curious about is your guys' projection of Brent Honeywell. And how he is honestly really, really low on your guys' projection. Now he was hurt last year, but I'm just kind of curious. I was, I was hoping that you guys could maybe talk a little bit as to why, where you guys ranked Brent Honeywell. Um, where was he on our list? Uh, let me find him real quickly because I was thinking about a bunch of other prospects. But since you had brought him up, he kind of came up to me. But I know you had him like ranked in like the 30s. Oh, he was 29. 29. Yeah, yeah, you have him ranked twenty nine. Yeah, and then MLB.com has him like in the late twenties too, I believe. Yeah, I think with Brett Honeywell, 
like the thing we really did with our list, um, put it, he's a 29 and it's not really a slight against him. Obviously he's coming off of Tommy John surgery would kind of put him a little lower on the list. Um, but if you look at our list, there's a lot of high upside p- pitching prospects up there. And I think that's one of the main reasons why he's at 29. Obviously Michael Kopech is just went under the knife and he's at 21, but I just saw Michael Kopech do it on the major league level. And when he made that debut with the Chicago White Sox and made a couple of starts, like his stuff was better than most of the most MLB starting pitchers. And now I'm looking at like other pitchers on our list, like uh, Nate Pearson's up there at 27. Mike Soroka's up there in 28. Chris Paddock is up there. Um, and I think Chris Paddock's going to be a, a future ace. Um, and realistically, he's going to go even higher on the, on our list um, in the next, like by mid-season. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot of talented arms in our top 30. And based on Brent Honeywell's like loss of the season last year, and I don't think he's even supposed to come back and pitch until like June or July. So I, I think putting him at 29 was relatively reasonable. What do you think, Payton? So – I'm going to tell you the only concern I have with Brent Honeywell and this, and this is going to be something that I think Pete might either have a field day with, or he might be like, wow, I never really thought of that. But you got, you got to think the fastball has good sync, you know, the slider and the change are both really good pitches for him, but his best pitch is the screwball. And that is really hard on your elbow and your shoulder. And uh, coming off Tommy John, that just kind of worries me that, you know, you are, you have Tommy John once and you're still, you know, obviously keeping that same motion because it's obviously you're twisting in a way that your elbow is not used to. I think that's one thing that really worries me that not, I'm not going to say that the pitch won't be there, but I think it'll be a little bit tougher for him to like continue growing it. Um, and then that, and that's just me looking at the risk part. I'm not going to say that I think that's going to be the case, but I think that's one thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um because we, we've really never even seen anything like that, you know, in terms of screwball and someone coming off Tommy John and coming back. Like, that's just – that's kind of uncharted territory for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, when that was my first thought of thinking because he came out of Walter State in 14, and, um, you know, that's obviously like five or six hours for me. And, um, and he was really high regarded then. I think he went uh, in the competitive balance round. So, I mean, everyone thought really highly of him, especially with that pitch – and then obviously being something that we're not accustomed to, I, I think that's the only thing that um, would be any cause of concern for me. Yeah, um, I'm not going to have too much of a field day with you on that, Peyton, because that is a justifiable concern. Um, to me, though, I also look at it this way. Um, the Rays are a very, very smart franchise with a lot of really good development people in their front office. Um, obviously, the screwball is kind of uncharted territory, but also it's not um, – if you – I don't have the numbers in front of me right now. I actually don't even know if the numbers are actually available. But if you look at screwball usage versus, like, if you look at his screwball usage over, you know, his entire minor league career, um, if it's above 40%, I'd be shocked. Um, so to me, like, I feel like you can still monitor that usage and monitor the stress. And like, once again, the motion of it is something completely abstract, something that we're not typically used to because there's not many people in major league baseball who actually successfully and consistently throw a screwball anymore. Right. But no, I, I completely get where you're coming from there, Peyton. I just also, I look at it from the other perspective that like, 
No, pitching in general isn't a natural motion for your arm. This isn't a natural body bodily movement. At the end of the day, we were not meant to throw baseballs. So any type of pitch isn't good for our arms. Like it's basically the equivalent of any a typical fastball is the equivalent essentially of taking a kettlebell. I mean, a ke- like a ten pound kettlebell and putting it on the back of your finger. You've guys seen the you guys have seen the research on that, Richard. You know damn well about that research. Yep. Like. In general, to me, I think it also just comes down to having the right development people there and just understanding proper usage rates and just, once again, just being ahead of the ball and being ahead of the curve there. But I do get exactly what your um, concerns are there. But I also did want to touch on one more prospect. I know I've been touching on a bunch of prospects throughout this entire pod. And I figured this would be a good one to kind of jump on and kind of finish off on. Joe Adele. Now – now, you guys have him ranked above Eloy Jimenez. And to me, Eloy Jimenez is a freaking stud. So I just and, – and it's not, nothing against Joe Adele. Like, he's going to be a very, very good major league player, or at least he projects out to be that. But I'm just – I'm kind of curious how you guys are basically projecting him to be the best outfield prospect in baseball right now. If okay. I – Oh, oh. my question for Pete. What do you, like, um, we had Eli Jimenez at five. We had Joe Adele at three, I believe. Yes. What, so, okay, so that's pretty close. Um, what do you see about Eli Jimenez as the outfield prospect? As an outfield prospect, I think he's more developed right now. Okay. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Joe Adele has developed very, very fast throughout the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. But also, if we look at history and we look at all that kind of fun stuff, so has Kyle Tucker. So as guys like that, they've developed very fast. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're more projectable or anything like that. That just means they're reaching certain bounds faster than other people. Where do you project Eloy Jimenez to play on the next level? Project him to play? What position? I project him to probably be a left fielder. Where do you project Joe Adele? I actually haven't decided that yet because you kind of have this guy named Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's fair. But here's the thing: I think Joe Adele. Um, it, when you look at the minor leagues right now and just the prospect pool, I don't know if there's anybody as cl- close to a five-tool prospect, like a five-tool player, as Joe Adele is. And by five-tool player, I don't mean like fringe on some tools, but like plus on other tools. I think he could realistically have five plus tools, and just watching him play, he's a, he's nineteen years old. Eloy Jimenez is like 23. 22. 22. Just watching Joe Joe Adele develop, it like how quickly it's been happening. Like I'm watching this dude swing, and it's an electric swing. This guy's probably the best, one of the best athletes in in the minors right now. Can we agree to that? I don't agree with that. What? I said I can agree with that. Yeah, same. I think he's probably one of the most explosive athletic prospects in the minors. I think the arm is there. I think he's, he can play all three outfield positions. Um, I think he's going to be a – like I grade out his future powers at 60. I think his swing is explosive. I think the bat speed is off the charts. Uh, and I think if the hit tool – if he continues to – 
like he's 19, so obviously the strikeout rate is kind of high, but he's a 19 year old kid who's not named Vladdy Guerrero, right? So like once he gets a better understanding of the strike zone, once he gets a little more mature at the play, which will come in time, right? But like the dude has skyrocketed up that system. He's in Double A right now, I think, at 19 years old. Yeah, and he's he's the batch the ball just explodes off this kid's bat. Obviously, I think Eloy Jimenez has the sec like out of every prospect in baseball, I think Eloy Jimenez is, has the second most raw power out of all of them, uh, right behind Vladdy Guerrero. But I think Joe Adele is just like the best all around prospect in baseball, just because of what he can do on the field with his speed, with his with his speed, with his arm, and he can still swing the bat too. That's my thought. And like when I was when we were making the initial list, I actually had Joe Adele at number two. I had Vladdy at one, I had Joe Adele at two, and I had Forrest Whitley three. And oh, then Fernando Tatis. Wow. Okay. See, I see. I had I had VJ three, Tatis, and then Adele. I, I like I I still like Joe Adele over Tatis. That's just me. And I had Tatis at four, and then Eloy at five. That's how that's that was my initial list. But that, that's me going out on a limb. Um, but, Payne, what do you think? I think the only thing that concerns me with Tatis is the, the swing and miss. Um, but but even still, I mean, coming out of the draft, there was a lot of, like, concern about his ability to hit. Um, and I think he's kind of put that to rest. Uh, I mean, he's hit 290 career in the minors. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, like, his batting average on balls in play has consistently been above like 340, if I remember correctly. I think he's had like one year where he won 340. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when he made his debut in rookie ball, his average on balls in play was 463. Mm-hmm. So I mean that that is that's really good for a guy that people thought wouldn't get be able to hit. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you gotta look at it this way. If he stops developing just for any reason, he's still a big league outfielder. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think the ceiling with him, if he could cut down the strikeouts, he's only 19 years old. Um, I get it. It's sitting close to four to one on strikeout to walk. But um, I think once he gets a better feel at the plate, um, you know, can read pitches a little bit better. I think he's a 300 to 315 average guy. And he also has a 65 speed. So he can steal some bags, which is something surprisingly he hasn't done a whole lot at the minor league level. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, th- I think the highest he's had has been nine at one of his stops, but that was also in, I think it was like 60 games. So, I mean, that, that's not a little, you know, amount of stolen bases. Um, so, yeah, I think when he puts it all together, he's a five-tool guy. Right now his worst tool is his hit tool, and he's still putting the ball, the ball in play a good amount. Um, so, I mean, I, I think long-term, um, I think you'll see him in LA, if not in September, then at the beginning of 2020 after that three week period, because, you know, they saved the year of control. So I think if you don't see him in September, if the angels don't make the playoffs, um, I think you'll see him in 2020. And I think he'll be a left fielder until Mike Trout leaves, but at this rate, they're making it sound like he's never going to. So. Yeah. I actually have, uh, unless P has anything to add on Joe Adele. I, I no, I'm good. I just was curious. I like I said, I, I I wasn't trying to get too argumentative. I just wanted to get some justification there, and your justification, some pretty solid justification. So, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you that. But no, I'm good on Joe Adele. I completely agree with what Peyton said. Man, we're killing it right now. I think so. Pete, Pete told us beforehand he was going to shit on us pretty hard. Well, 
I said that, and then Richard messaged me and said, "Hey, uh, this this also is on our website. We probably shouldn't like completely shit." So, (laughs) so like, I kind of went a little lighter, but like, no, like you guys are. It's not like you guys are giving bullshit answers right now. Like you guys are giving some justifiable answers. You should have seen when I tried to put Jonathan India in the top ten. Oh no! if you did that, I think I would have probably had a field day. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally just kidding. I think I had Jonathan Indy at like 65. Yeah, I was about to say if you did that, no, I, that would have been shit on worthy. Uh, yeah, we were gonna we would fight about that. But here's uh, just to close out this podcast, I have one more question for you guys, and I also want to hear Pete's opinion because uh, when Peyton and I were making this list, we were kind of discussing this a little bit. And it's really hard for me to project catchers. I think that's the most difficult projection. Oh, oh boy. Oh, God. So uh, let's go out on a bank. Who's the best catching prospect in baseball? Because our discussion was between Joey Bart and Danny Jansen. And right now we have Danny Jansen a little bit higher than Joey Bart. But, Pete, shed us some light. What do you think? I mean, I I completely agree with you. that Projecting catchers to me, especially – in baseball, not especially there's only catchers in baseball, but like at this level, projecting catchers is kind of like throwing shit at a wall and hoping something sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I'm a Joey Bart fan, yeah, but to me, but once again, to me, it's all kind of throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. I just like the tools that Joey Bart has, I like the way they project, I think he has the most potential and the most upside. And I'm if you haven't noticed by my like obvious liking of guys like Eloy Jimenez and, you know, Brent Honeywells and et cetera of the world. I'm a very big upside guy. Mm-hmm. So to me, like I, I don't disagree with you guys having him higher than Joey Bart, but to me, Joey Bart was just the first, when you ask me the best catching prospect in baseball, mm-hmm. the first name that comes to my mind is Joey Bart. That's just, that's yeah. just. And it, like, here's the thing. I think with Bart, I can see that, I can see him having more upside than a uh, than a Jansen, but like you said, it's just so difficult to project. Mm-hmm. Like Joey Bart just got drafted, and I'm watching a guy like Jansen. Like he's already did everything. He's gonna be in the majors. Like I think his hit tool is like he. I think he's a like 60 grade hitter with. And I love the power in in that bat. I think he can get 20, 25. Home runs, like which that. is rare for catchers nowadays. Yeah. By the way, to you note, know, really rare. rare. That's the thing, which was very rare for for catchers. Uh, the arm is like fringe, but how? But I mean, like guys don't really run anymore, right? Like, not not a lot of people are stealing bases in today's in today's game because of the rise of analytics. So, and I think the most important thing for a catcher is framing. And I think Jansen is a relatively good framer, and I think he's going he's gonna to eventually slowly get better. And just because of the – and he's a good framing catcher with a plus bat, plus pop, and um, plus power, and a plus hit tool. And he's all, already up there on the major league level. I have two comments about this. Sure, go for it. One, in my opinion, and I'm not going to elaborate on this because I feel like there's just not really a need to because there's not much debate that can be had. The best defensive catcher in the minors is Sean Murphy with Oakland. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And then also, Rich, when you brought this up, that is not the route I thought you were taking with this question because, uh, Pete, I want you just to – just out of curiosity, I'm sure you have the list pulled up. Take a look for me and see if you find anything odd about our top 
40 or 50 in terms of catchers. Oh, God. We're talking about a specific San Diego charger. Ah, uh, San Diego for catcher, aren't we? Yes, Let me we see are. if I can find it. I'm going very slow. Oh, you all. Oh, oh, someone likes Francisco Mejia. No, we don't like <laughs> oh. Mejia. Uh, Nobody likes Francisco Mejia. I'm just being sarcastic. One second. Yeah. We just keep going. Keep going. You know what? Uh, we got to wrap this episode back. By the time we get, get our next episode in, People probably find Francisco Mejia somewhere down there on the list. Oh, I know it's down there. I know I saw it. It was way down there. But I'm trying to find what you're talking about here. For some reason, it's not popping up right now. I don't I mean, think Mejia sticks, and I don't think his bat will be as good as everybody thinks it does. Like I just, I just don't like Mejia at all. I just, I can't. I just, I just don't see it. Every- I, mean, I think he can hit. I mean, I, I, I mean, I watched him throughout his minor league experience in Cleveland, and I mean, I, I think he's not a long term catcher. That's my opinion. I think he's going to stick better at the corner infield position. But I, I get why people say the bat's kind of questionable. To me, I think he has really good back control. I think at worst, he's got a plus contact tool, and that's about it. His I mean, control controls off the charts, but I just I just don't see him sticking. Like I like going back to earlier, like the whole Kyle Tucker thing. Everyone has that player that they don't like, and Francisco, he is my other one. Yeah, we can't stand Francisco Media, honestly. Like, By the way, was that what you were getting at, or is that just because I brought up Francisco Mejia? No, we literally cannot stand Francisco Mejia. Like, I think he's like somewhere around sixty on our list. And yeah, he's no, I'm curious. Who were you bringing? Who? What were you trying to bring up in the trend? You You were saying look up at look, look at your top forty list and see like what. Oh, kept I was talking about the fact that Francisco Mejia was not in there. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. So I was. I wasn't. Okay. I got you. And clue in. Uh, but. As far as catchers of the future, the Indians have Noah Naylor, and he's yes, they do, but that's going to be a solid four or five years from now. So, yeah, that's true. Maybe Lindor is going to stay long term, and he'll be. No, free. he's not. We we don't have that kind of money. <laughs> well, on that on that shitty note, we should probably wrap this episode up. It's been a lot of fun, Payne. Thank you for joining us again. Peace. Yeah. Right way. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Richard, it's always a pleasure. Treyway, it's always a pleasure as well. Please come on the pod more. It's fun to talk to you. Invite me and I'll be here. He's pod less. Like, this guy's always here now. But on that note, this has been Pitching to Contact. Until next week. You never know.